0: Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Tonight we're going to just do a quick review of the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about God's will for us is to be well. That's what we've been talking about the last couple weeks. And the first thing we've got to know before we even get started in this whole process is the, the basis for this entire study, this entire series, the basis is the fact that the, the healing was purchased at the cross for us. It's included in the atoning work of Christ. It's not a separate thing. It was inclusive in what Jesus did for us. He doesn't have to do anything else. He, he shed his blood in three, in three specific places, okay? He shed his blood in the garden Right? It says he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. He shed his blood at the whipping post, right? Because they whipped him. By his stripes you were healed. And he shed his blood on the cross. And it's interesting that if you look at the, the places that Jesus shed his blood and, and the fact that we are spirit, soul, and body, he has shed his blood for the redemption of spirit, soul, and body. See, our bodies by his stripes we were healed in the in the garden, redeemed from the soulish torment of, of the mind, the will, and the emotions. And on the cross, redemption from eternity separated from God. Our spirits were were the ransom for our spirits was paid at the cross. So he shed his blood in three places. So that the, the the blood of Jesus. And his shed blood is the basis and foundation for every single thing that we talk about here. This is not just something uh, that's positive or or just, hey, say it enough times, it'll happen, no. It's already a completed work. Jesus already shed his blood for you. It's done, it's paid for. It's like you went to the restaurant, somebody paid your bill, and you go up there and you say, hey, uh, what do I owe you for dinner? And they say your bill's paid. And you say, Yeah, but hold it. What do I owe you for dinner? Sooner or later, they're gonna look at you and say, Dude, your bill's paid. Go home, right? And that's the way it is. Your the the the, the price has been paid for you to be well. Now, what what motivated what motivated God to send His Son and to cause Everything that happened to Jesus while he was here on the earth, all the suffering, all the, the pain, and everything else, what motivated God to do that? It was his love. To know and comprehend the love of God is the basis for our relationship with him. The fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the fact that while we were still sinners, before we even began to think about seeking God, he sent his son to die for us. He sent his son to suffer for us. He sent his son to pay the price for our redemption. To, to know and to comprehend the love of God is a lifelong quest. You know, the Bible says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things one one. Particular scripture says, "Give the Holy Spirit." One other one says, "Give good good things." How many know the Holy Spirit's a good thing? Uh, To those that ask, it's the love of God. If we, then being evil or natural or carnal, know how to take care of our children, how much more does the Father God, the Father of all spirits, love us? For we did not receive, Romans eight fifteen says, we had not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, uh, and, and in term of endearment to Father God. It's not just, he's the big old man in, in heaven with a cane and a big white beard, you know, uh, waiting for you to get out of line so he can smack you. That's not who God is. God is our loving Father, who desperately cares for us. Galatians 5 6, it says that for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith works through or by love. Faith works by love. So the starting point for you to have to build your faith is an understanding that God loves you, the Father loves you. The Father loves you so much that he sent his son for you. He he said, I'll give my son to ransom you. Now, we we all know that. We sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, right? We, we, We say God loves you, God loves you, but God's love is what constrains us. It's what brings us to a place of faith. When we, when we have a revelation that God loves us, it's something that only comes by revelation. We read the word, we hear the word, we, 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 we listen to sermons, we hear the word preached, we, we see the word, we read the word, and, but it's, it's when we get revelation knowledge of the love of God, that's when faith comes because faith works by faith love. It's the father's love. Now, when you love someone, you will do whatever it takes to help them. But if you just want to help them, but you don't really love them, you will not go beyond being inconvenienced, right? Someone comes through and they say, hey, can you help me with this? Yeah, as long as it doesn't put me too far behind in my schedule, right? If they're if there's someone that's out of your inner circle. But if it's somebody inside your inner circle or someone that you really care about, you will do whatever it takes to help them. You will cancel all your plans. You will, you will spend any amount of money. It's irrelevant because why? Because you love them. See, love produces actions. Love always elicits actions or a response. And when we understand the love of God, it begins to cause us to understand the fact that he has already paid the price. This is not just a transactional thing. It's a relational thing. See, we have a relationship with God. It's not just a transactional thing that involves, that involves uh, well, if I quote these verses enough times, then healing will manifest. That's a transactional thing. No, it's a relational thing. God loves me to such a degree that he sent his son, and his son took stripes at a post. He was literally tied up to a post, a big, like, wooden post or stone or something. They tied him up and they just beat him until he was unrecognizable as a human being. So bloody and so beat and so torn, his flesh, that he almost died right there and then they made him carry his cross up the hill on the Via Dolorosa. See, and he did all that for one reason. You. He did it for you and for me. And he did it to purchase healing in your body. See, that was where, that's, he, he did it to purchase healing. For by his wounds, by his stripes, you were healed. It was part of the atoning work of Christ that he came here to do, to redeem, to redeem you, spirit, soul, and body. And that was part of it. So there's been a great price to pay Jesus paid way too much for you to stay sick. How about that? Jesus paid way too much, paid way too high a price for us to stay sick. We have got to tap into the fact that he paid the price. This is not something that's optional. He paid the price. We have, a, we have a duty to study this and realize it and build our, our, our faith to the point where we can say yes. See, we can say yes, but we, we've got to put the word in so that we have an agreement in our spirit. It is God's will for you to be healthy. And faith begins where the will of God is known. See, if, if, if we had someone and we said, I have however many people are in here. Let's just say there's 70 people in here. If I have there's 70 people and I have 70 $100 bills and I'm gonna give everybody a $100 bill in here tonight and I have and you know I have enough and all you have to do is come up here and get it, would you have faith that you'd get one? If, if you knew that I had enough and all you had to do was come up here and get one, would you have faith that you could get one? That's a a simple question and the answer is yes, okay? What if I said I've got $100 bill and I'm gonna hand out all these pieces of paper and only one of you is gonna get it? Could you really have faith that you're gonna get it? You could have hope. You'd have a hope so, but you wouldn't have a no so, would you? Because... There's only one, and there's a lot more than one of you. See, so that's what the difference is. The difference is when you know the person making the promise has the goods, okay, and you meet the qualifications, then you can have faith, okay? It's the person making the promise has the goods. They have what they say they have. That's Romans chapter four. Abraham said he trusted him who had promised, okay, and knew that he was faithful to do that which he had promised, okay? So the person making the promise has the goods, and you meet the requirements, then you can have faith, okay? So it starts with, faith doesn't even begin until we know what the will of God is, and I'm here to tell you good news and reaffirm and tell you again, good news, it is God's will for you to be well, God wants you healthy, okay? If by chance you aren't healthy tonight where you aren't walking in complete health, there's no condemnation, but understand, it's not God's will for you to stay the way you are. It's God's will for you to get better and to get healthy again because that is God's will. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Now, question for you, would any of you ever Stop and talk to someone, and if they expressed an interest to accept the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior, would you ever stop and say to them, well, now, wait a minute, I'm not sure if it's God's will for you to get saved. Would anybody ever be so ludicrous as to say that? No, I don't think so, because at least not in this church. Um, maybe somewhere they would, but not here. Why? Because we believe the scripture in First Peter that says, what is that? First Peter says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some consider slackness, but it's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, it's God's will that all would turn from their sin, that all would repent. Turn from their sin and come to Christ. So when we're talking to someone and they express an interest to receive Christ, we're not going to say, "Well, you know, probably not today. Why don't you call me back in a couple weeks?" You know, if you ever do that, stop it. Don't ever do that again. Okay? You got to close the deal, man. <laughs> you pray with them. Get get them to get them to accept Christ. Because that's God's will. And the reason we have that simple thing, an example like that, is because we know it's God's will that all men would be saved. We know it's his will that none would perish, right? Well, I would present to you today, it's also God's will that all men would be healed. You say, well, then why aren't they healed? I don't know, why aren't everyone, why isn't everyone saved? It's God's will that everyone be saved, but yet there's Many people that aren't saved, Bible says even that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to life and few are they that find it, but yet it's God's will that all would find Christ, that all would come to the saving knowledge. So that same logic that would say, well, if God's will is that people be well, why are there people that are sick? That same logic says, well, if it's God's will that all would be saved, why are So many lost because God's will on the earth is not automatic. God's will is God's will, but there are other factors in play on the earth. It's called sin, the will of man, people's free will, all those things come into play. So that's the that's the the point there. So would you ever do that? No, you wouldn't. In fact, you look at Jesus and how he dealt with sickness, he never turned anyone away. Anybody that came to him with a desire for healing, he healed them. He never turned anyone away. He never said, well, you know, I've pretty much used up my quota of healing today. Why don't you come back and see if I have any left next week? He never did that, right? right. Now, what about the 10 lepers? If there was ever an instance where we should do like a spiritual triage... You know what a triage is, right? It's where they, you go into the emergency room and they kind of check you out and see what's where you fit on this severity scale. If you if you're like if you're like bleeding all over the place, you're like you're going to get in there real fast. But if you're in a lot of pain but you aren't in danger of dying, you're going to wait for four hours, right? Because some guy who just got shot is going to get put in there in front of you, right? That's kind of the the perils of the emergency room. When I went in on December twenty-seven. I felt great. I walked in and said, hey, you know, uh, I had this pain in my chest, I had pain in my arm, and you know, but I feel good now, so I think, you know, I don't know, I don't wanna bother you guys. And before I turned around, they had a chair stuffed in behind my legs, and I had IVs poked in my arm, because I had, was having a heart attack and didn't know it. But anyway, so um, the triage did that. So if there was any time a point where you would do a spiritual triage. It was when Jesus encountered the 10 lepers. Can you imagine this? He's got 10 lepers. These guys have like fingers missing and they got like part of their ear gone. It just, because leprosy is that evil, bad, like it rots your skin away, okay? And things fall off and it's just horrible. It's a miserable, terrible disease. And he had 10 Lepers came to him looking for healing. And you know, if anybody was ever going to wonder, I wonder if it's always God's will to heal. This would have been a great time for Jesus to demonstrate spiritual triage, wouldn't it? And I got a kind of an idea. If it would have happened, if it wasn't God's will, this is how it might have went. He would have had them file by one by one, and he would have had the disciples lining them up and doing interviews and taking charts on them, right? Like, that's what they do in triage. And then Um, they would come by Jesus and he would say, "Uh, no healing for you today. You've been a bad boy, right? You haven't been nice. No healing for you. And the second one, he'd say, well, we'd really like to heal you, but God is still teaching you a lesson. So you need to suffer with this for a while, longer, and then maybe in the future, why don't you come back when you have learned your lessons. And then the final For he would say bingo it's your lucky day you're healed but we all know that's not what happened right he sent them to the priest to bring an offering to the priest and he says as they went toward the priest it says they were healed as they went the greek word there is eaomai i learned that from rick renner if you know who Rick Renner is, I learned that from him, and it means a progressive curative healing process. So as they walked, I can just imagine, as they walked, they got better with every step they took. Every step, they got a little bit better. They got a little bit better with every step they took. Now, one came back and said thanks, and then the other nine, and that that one that came back, he was made whole, and the other, one, the other ones were healed, but he was made whole. Uh, I don't know if that means if fingers grew back or what. I don't know. But it does say that that one, he was made whole, and the other ones were just healed as they went. They were healed, but he was made whole because he came back. Now, my point of this whole, this whole story is if there was ever a time when God wanted to demonstrate that it wasn't always his will, this would have been a tremendous place for him to do it. He would have said, "This is a great example. Let's use this as a teaching moment." But yet, when you look, he healed all ten of them. He never turned anyone away. Not a one of them. But yet, we as people, many times, in tradition, says. All those things that I used as examples. Well, you haven't been good enough. Oh, there's sin in your life. Oh, God's teaching you something. All those, all those things that people have said over the years, but yet that's, there's no scripture to back up any of those things. They're basically excuses to make people feel better about staying in their current condition. That's, that's the bottom line. As you look at it, it's just God's will. So if it's God's will, let's renew our minds according to God's will, build our faith according to God's will, get aggressive about it, because nothing good ever happens without getting aggressive with the devil and getting aggressive about putting God's word in your heart. It says in, in uh, Matthew eleven twelve, 12, it says... From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. It doesn't say the kingdom of heaven comes like leaves off autumn trees, just falling and... Okay, sera, sera. Nothing in the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God works that way. We have an enemy and he's out to, to hinder on every single front. And if we're going to get somewhere and if we're going to get victory, if we're going to get God's will on the earth, we have got to be aggressive with God's word. We've gotta put God's word in our heart. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've gotta get aggressive about it. We've gotta speak it. We gotta read it. We gotta keep it in front of us. We gotta keep that word in front of us. We gotta give it our attention, give it our, our voice, give it our ears, put it in front of our eyes. It has to be an aggressive thing. It cannot be passive. Nothing good in the kingdom of God comes to you by being passive. It only comes by being active. And that's true even in the world. You, you aren't, you're never gonna be successful in your business, business if you're just passive all the time. You gotta be aggressive. You gotta be active. You gotta pursue it. And the same thing is true with this. We've gotta pursue God. We can't just take whatever comes and accept it I'd say, well, that must be God's will. It's God's will for you to be well, period. Say, well, I'm not well. That's, the current circumstance is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about God's will. It's God's will for you to be well. There's no condemnation if you have circumstances, symptoms, anything else, there's no, there's no condemnation for that. But see, that's good news. Beloved, I wish above all things that you'd prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's good, good, good news. That's not bad news. There's no reason for for, uh, for consternation or anything about that. It's God's will for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. So James 1 is where we get our picture of ourselves. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, thereby deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what manner of man is. He is. He's saying when you look into the perfect law of liberty, when you look into scripture and it says the principles that God wants you well and then you walk away from scripture and you look at something else, it says, do you just forget what God says about you or does that define who you are? See, this, this. it says that when a man looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like, that's what it's like if we look in the scripture and we don't take that scriptural definition of ourselves as our identity. See, we are who God says we are. We can do what God says we can do. We have what God says we have. Okay, why? Because that is looking into the perfect law of liberty and not forgetting who we are, who we are in Christ. See, get, get a hold of some of those little red books we've got all, all over the church at, it says, who I am in Christ. If you don't have one of those little books, get one and start reading who you are in Christ. and They're free. We'll just, yeah, they're, they're everywhere. Just get one and start reading it and start saying, this is who I am in Christ. This is who I, I'm victorious. I'm well. I'm, I have favor. Once you start reading who you are in Christ, you know what happens? You start walking a little bit straighter. Well, that's who I am in Christ. It's not who you are in yourself. It's who you are in Christ. See, it's not self-confidence. It's Christ-confidence. It's Jesus-confidence. We can be confident because the greater one lives in us. Greater is he that's in, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater, the greater one lives on the inside of us. That's where we get our confidence. We don't get it from our own our own our own self. We get it from. Who we are in Christ. See, faith and doubt come the same way. Faith and doubt come the same way. They come by seeing, hearing, and giving attention to. Okay? Faith comes by hearing, doubt comes by hearing. Faith comes by seeing, doubt comes by seeing. And faith comes by giving attention to or credence or heeding to. And doubt comes by credence, giving attention to or heeding to. Let's look at the example of Peter walking on the water. He listened to Jesus, right? He got out of the boat. He obeyed. He was walking, he was keeping his eyes on Jesus and he was giving his attention and all of his confidence was in the word of Jesus. He kept his mind, his heart, his eyes, his focus on Jesus and the dude walked on water. And then it says, he saw the waves, he considered how big they were and he began to consider that and he, and he got into doubt and he began to sink. See, the same thing is true with anybody's situation for healing. If you look at the word, you can get confidence. That's when you start standing up tall. You find out who you are in Christ, what Jesus has done for you. You start getting, you're walking tall and you give all your your confidence, you give all your attention, you give all your credence and your faith toward the word of God and you're walking that line. And then what happens? You get a bad doctor's report. Uh oh, what happens? Are you gonna give your, your, hearing and your sight and your attention over here now? Because if you do, what happens? You take your eyes off Jesus and you put your eyes over here on the doctor's report, all your attention on the doctor's report, all your credence on the doctor's report, and what happens? You you go sideways, okay? You end up going sideways. That's why it says in Romans chapter four that Abraham considered not his own body dead, nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but considered him who promised to be faithful. See, Abraham had a promise from God that his wife was gonna have a child and he was gonna be the father of many nations, and he was 90 years old and he didn't have a son. 90, okay, no son but he didn't consider his body dead nor the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he considered him who promised to be faithful. What did he do? He gave his hearing, his sight, his attention on God and his word and his promise, his faithfulness. He did not consider all those other things. He didn't consider it. He said, no, I'm not gonna think about that. I can't think about that. I've got to focus on what God has told me and I've got to focus on what God is bringing me to. Hearing and giving attention. Faith comes from hearing and giving attention to God's word. Doubt, discouragement and depression comes from hearing and giving attention to your circumstances. See, many times over the years what I've come in come in contact with is I'll be talking to somebody and they'll say, well I know it's God, I know that by Jesus stripes we were healed, but. And then they tell me something else. If you know anything about the English language, and I know you do, okay, so I'm not, don't, don't be insulted by that, I'm not, I don't mean that other than, the word but, okay, the word, when it says, I know God says but, when you put that in there right there, you have just said, I know all this is true, but I'm not gonna consider that because this is more true. That's what, it, in effect, what you're saying. So what a, a friend of mine says, you have to make sure that your butts in the right place. B-U-T, single T. I'm not being vulgar, okay? So instead of saying, I know God's word says this, but I got a bad doctor's report, why don't you say, well I got this doctor's report, but I know God's word says, by his stripes I'm healed. Because truth trumps facts. Those are just facts. The facts were, Abraham was 90, his wife's womb was dried up and dead, And yet, he said, I'm not gonna consider that. He said, I know I'm old, I know she's old, I know that in the natural we can't have kids, but I consider him who promised to be faithful and I'm gonna have, I'm a father of many nations. He changed his name, started walking around telling everybody, hey, how you doing? I'm the father of many nations. And everybody looked at him and go, yeah, right, you don't even have a kid. You don't even have a son. You're not the father of many nations, you crazy old man, right? Right? But he kept on saying, "I'm the father of many nations." Why? Because he considered him who promised to be faithful, over top of and replacing the circumstances that he was facing. He, he considered not those circumstances. I've had many times people say, "Well, if God want, if but if it's God's will to be to well, how come my aunt Thelma died?" She was the most godly woman I've ever known in the world. How in the world could she die of cancer if, by Jesus' stripes? If anybody deserved to be healed, it was Aunt Thelma. I've had that conversation with people. I said, I'm sure your Aunt Thelma was the salt of the earth. I'm sure she is in heaven. I'm sure she has got a place of honor. I'm sure she's awesome. I'm sure she was the best thing since sliced bread and then some. However, Aunt Thelma ain't Jesus. That's right, she might have been like Jesus, but that's not, she didn't die for you. Okay? And the fact that her experience doesn't match God's word does not invalidate God's word. See, whether I receive or you or anybody else, whether we see the fruition or the manifestation of the promises of God has zero bearing on their veracity or validity or truth. See, God's word is true on its own, without regard to our experiences within that. Because why? Because we are flawed human beings. We don't do everything right. We don't have a place where we're always completely on and perfect and focused all the time. We, we just haven't, we're human and we aren't there, okay? So people's experience does not invalidate the promise of God. And I would say to anyone, don't allow... First experience, 3.5, trump Isaiah 53, or 1 Peter 2.24. Don't allow someone else's experience to invalidate God's word in your life. Say, I'm sorry Aunt Thelma died. I'm sorry she died, but you know what? I'm not gonna die. I'm gonna live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. I'm gonna walk in his truth. I'm not saying anything bad about her because you know what, here's the thing. When someone that's godly and good and everybody loves them, when when that situation happens and nobody understands it, what usually happens is people start uh, playing the blame game, right? There's a certain camp of people that say, well, you didn't have enough faith, brother. That's dumb, okay? That doesn't help at all, okay? Don't ever do that, okay? Uh, that, that, just, that just hurts everybody. Okay, then there's another camp that says, it must not have been God's will. Well, that's in, that's in violation of God's word too. That's just as silly as the other one, okay? Here's the thing. The hidden things belong to the Lord. We do not know the heart of every single person. We don't know where they were at in every single thing. We don't know all that God knows, and the hidden things belong to the Lord, and don't forget in the dark what God showed you in the light. When you're in a dark place, don't forget what God showed you in his word in the light. Because it, it's just, it's, God's word is the thing we've got to hang on to. It's the anchor of our soul. When, when, when I was in the hospital, I'm gonna get through this. When I was in the hospital and I was six days in, in, in uh, the hospital, there was one particular day that was really hard. It was just miserable. They had been all kinds of narcotics. It was terrible. And it was just a hard day. It was December 30, 31, 1. I think it was the 1st of January or the 2nd. I don't even know because it was just all blurred together. Okay? I was in bad shape. It was just four or five months ago. It was a terrible day. I mean, it was like the worst day of my life. I was at such a place where I was battling so hard and trying and I I was in so much pain and so many narcotics and junk and I'd been by myself for like eight hours and they stuck me in a room all by myself and I was sure they had forgot about me. It was cold in there. And I was like, I'm freezing. They left me in there for like, it seemed like forever. It was probably 20 minutes. But it seemed like forever, okay? And I remember, and I had to sit there, and I'm like, I'm speaking the word. I'm quoting the Lord's prayer. I'm quoting Psalm 23. I'm quoting every Bible verse I know, right? I said, I thank you, Father, that you're with me, that you'll never leave me or forsake me. That God, you're for me, that the greater one's in me. Devil, get out of this room. You know, I'm screaming at the devil. See, I had to go back to what I know in the middle of the dark place. Because I was in a dark place. It was the middle of the day, but it was a dark place. I was, it was the enemy was there. He was attacking my mind and attacking my body and trying to kill me. And I had to stand on God's word. I mean, I just was quoting the Lord's prayer. Part of it was like, I got to the point where I was just quoting the Lord's prayer in Psalm 23 for a while there. And that was, that was how I did battle. I didn't have 400 scriptures. I quoted the Lord's prayer and Psalm 23 for, for as long as I was in there. And that's what you gotta do. You have to remember, in the, in the dark, you have to remember what God showed you in the light and and use God's word in the middle of the dark place. That when your experience doesn't match the promise, you have to build your hope on the promise regardless of your experience. See, right then, my experience did not match the promise. My experience was way over here, but God's promise was way over here. And so you had you have to go and say, I'm not gonna put my... I'm not gonna base my decisions and my attitude and everything else on my experience. I'm gonna base it on God's word, and that, my friends, is called faith. When you can base your response on God's word instead of your circumstance, instead of your experiences. See, and the blame game doesn't help anybody. The blame game, you could say, what have I done wrong? God, why are you doing this to me? Number one, God isn't doing it to you. He, and, and the devil just hates you. That's why he's doing it to you, okay? If he could, he'd kill us all right now, but thank God he can't, okay? So when we, when, if we ever rely on our experiences to to govern our, our, our life, we're gonna short-circuit our faith. It's gonna, you cannot you cannot look at your experiences and put them on the same par as God's word. Truth trumps facts every single time. When someone says to you, yeah, but those people, all the yeah, buts, right? Anybody know the yeah, buts? Yeah, but. When they say yeah, but, say yeah, where's Costello, right? No, you gotta say, when they, when they give you that, you gotta say, yeah, but God's word says. Okay, we've got to go back to God's word because that's the anchor of our soul. It's God's word, not our experiences. We See, if we blame the person, that's damaging. If we blame God, that, sets, that, that, that causes all kinds of problems. If we say, well, it was God's will, that, that causes people to say, well, you can't trust God. I, I've, heard, I've heard people say, well, you never know what God's going to do. I'm sorry, but that's a foolish thing to say. Yes, we do know what God's gonna do. He has told us in his word what he's going to do, how he's going to respond in certain situations. He's told us in his word. Yes, you do know what God's gonna do, okay? Yes, you can know. Now, that's where we have to live our lives. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding or upon your own experiences. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. The love of the Father is how we started this. The love of the Father is the basis for us to have a relationship with God. 11 years ago, uh, my, my one son was five years old and he came down with a fever and he had a fever for a number of days, and it was 102, 103, you know, high, high fever, but not, you know, not emergency room, and then on the, like the fourth day, it spiked to 105, and so we took him to the emergency room, and he did a spinal tap. They said he had spinal meningitis. So he said, we're in 72 hours in lockdown, quarantine. We're up in the Peds uh, down at uh, DeVos Children's Hospital. We're down there, and and it was a bad, bad situation. We stood on God's word and we called everybody we knew and we said, he's gonna live and not die. And it was a very, very difficult situation, another difficult situation. But again, you go to God's word and you stand on God's word regardless of what the circumstances are. We, I stayed in that room with him for 72 hours and I just stayed there the entire time. And by the end of the, by about 60 hours, he turned and he looked at me and he goes, Daddy, I'm hungry. And I was, hey, he's hungry. Because they had had him on morphine. They had had, they had had him on all these drugs and they were trying to keep that fever down. And it was a very long process. And, but my point is this, we stood on God's word We stand on God's word, and you stand on it and stand on it regardless of what the circumstances are. You give your attention to God's word and not your attention to what the other things are. You acknowledge the facts, but you give your trust and hope to to the truth, and that's God's word. God's word is the basis, so we've got to acknowledge God wants us well, God wants you well. God wants your children well. God wants people in your life well. But we've gotta build our faith, keep our attention on God's word, keep our focus on God's word, and not get our focus on all the different circumstances and all the the stuff around us. Whatever you give your attention and your heed to, that's where you'll go. Wherever you look, that's where you'll go. That's why when... when, um, When you're driving, it's important to keep your your eyes up and not over there or over there, because wherever you look, that's where you'll go, right? Y'all know that. If you've ever driven a car, you know that. And the same thing is true in your life. Wherever you focus, that's the direction you'll go. So keep your eyes on the author and the finisher of your faith, and that's Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your ears tuned to his word and don't allow the circumstances to pull you off in this direction, pull you off in that direction. Just keep in the word. Keep saying no to sin. Keep saying yes to God and walk with him. And you know what? All the other things will just kind of fall away. They'll fade away because we're pursuing him with everything we have. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.